Welcome back, everyone, to After the Sermon Ends. We know that after the sermon ends, the conversations can begin. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Marcus Donaldson and our good friend, Pastor Chase Adams. How are you doing, guys? Good. Doing great. So, Chase, you are the student pastor at Chestnut Mountain Church. How many times have you preached now at City Church? You were a guest on Sunday. Yeah, this was my uh, second go at it. So Very yeah. good. So how did that compare to your experience with uh, preaching to middle and high school students on a regular basis? For me, uh, for me, it was a little different. Uh, however, I, I got my start preaching, if you will, um, to adults in Celebrate Recovery. So it was kind of similar. I've, I've shifted gears a little bit as far as um, application and, and what that looks like for students uh, when I'm speaking to students. Um, but for the most part, what I, what I mentioned in the sermon is really cool. In our student ministry, we kind of just open the Bible and exposit the Word yeah, and see God do what God does. That's awesome. Well, yes, yeah, so you were you were preaching, continuing our series in First Peter uh, chapter four this week. You covered verses twelve through nineteen. So why don't you just give us a quick recap from Sunday's message? Yeah, so we uh, we started out with verse twelve. Well, we we read through twelve through nineteen, and then verse twelve kind of spent a lot of time on verse twelve through really through fourteen, yeah. explaining that, and then it kind of breaks, if you will. Um, the text kind of breaks. Uh, Peter in fifteen reminds believers that that any any cause of suffering due to our sin and not the name of Christ is 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 tough it's 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 a tough text it's because uh-huh. he's he's literally saying like the the comfort you get from the holy spirit is not there if you're not genuinely in repentance seeking after him so Peter gives example of the court of law. So if you're a murderer or a thief, he gives those specific examples. But then he goes on to say evildoer, and and, and he goes deeper into sin. And sin is lawlessness. So we're breaking God's law as Christians on purpose. Then we must repent. Yeah, Um, we must turn back to our Savior. And and Peter kind of switches gears there. Then he goes into. Another reminder about suffering for the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ, and just encourages his audience once again. And then he kind of goes into judgment being now for the house of God and and explains that. And then he asks two very important questions. What will become of the sinner who doesn't obey the gospel of God? Mm-hmm. He asks it in, in 17, and then he, he, he just echoes it again in 18. Yeah, so Peter... In typical Peter fashion, he just he just lays it all out there in those two verses, and yeah. and for me, I've never shied away from speaking about hell and speaking about the consequence of of sin, the penalty of sin, and Peter just simply asked that question. So what I what I tried to remind the Christian in the room of was that um, you're 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 way worse than you could ever imagine, but in right. Christ, you're more loved than you'll ever know. Right. Um, and for the non-believer, if there was one, I think the gospel was clear. Yeah. Um, and that there's grace and mercy for you because we're all we all fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> That's so. good. Yeah, Marcus, I know you were on security on Sunday, but uh, did you have any thoughts on what you heard or on the passage as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it, it's we've been seeing it for the last several months. This this repeated theme where. He, Peter's not saying, hey, you're going to suffer, but you shouldn't be surprised when you do as a Christian. Now, there's 
there's limits to what we can call Christian suffering, right? It's like if um, I think you mentioned about <laughs> cutting or somebody cutting you off in traffic, it's like that's not persecution. Yeah, that's right. not reviling. <laughs> right. That's not suffering as a Christian. Right. Uh, in the same way as, you know, you or me doing something in public or at the home or wherever it is, but doing something that is clearly out of bounds as a follower of Christ and then paying the consequences for it. That's natural. Those are natural consequences to uh, bad behavior. But if I'm living the way that God calls me to live, if we live the way that God calls us to live as Christ followers, then we shouldn't be surprised when the world uh, rejects that or uh, turns its attention on us and criticizes us. Great. Yeah, and we, we talked about that a little bit or quite a bit as well, like the world. I think when people open the Bible, they have to view the definition of the world when it comes to the world that persecutes or reviles Christians um, because that world is under the influence and in in it's being governed by a system that we can't see that's very real, that's, under, that's, that's being governed by Satan, um, and that world is against Christians. First John, John goes on in First John to say that the entire world is under the influence of the evil one. So we live in a a world that is under the influence of the evil one. And as Christians, and I mentioned this, we're called to be the light, the light of the world. So if we're carrying the gospel within us, when we are persecuted and when we are reviled for the sake and name of Christ, our proper response is to rejoice and be glad. And the yeah. very reason for that is our only purpose is to glorify God. And the only way you can glorify God is if you're rejoicing and being glad in who he is and that you are, back to verse 12, beloved, right. loved by Christ. And what that does is that world, that, that's what combats that world, not our ego or our, our knowledge or, or our ability to uh, be the greatest apologist on the planet. What really combats that is rejoicing and being glad in who Christ is and what he's done for you. And then it gives those that are in and of the world an opportunity for us to then share right. why we're so glad, why we can still rejoice. And that's where those gospel conversations come in. It's not through our our intellect, which is important. Don't hear me. Don't hear me say it's not important. You, it is important to learn and to know and to grow as a Christian. Um, but to a lost and dying person who's dead in their sins and trespasses. What's going to get their attention more than anything is that we would rejoice and be glad. Yeah, I do want to go back to that that first word, beloved. I think you said in your message that you were like pretty hung up on it. So, um, why why do you think like that word um, like stuck with you throughout the week in your preparation? And then, what are the implications of it for like your message? Yeah, so um, I think he's just echoing again. He just Peter's just echoing First Peter one really one through five, that they're a chosen race, a royal, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession transformed um, from darkness to light, and so on and so forth, what he goes through, and that they've been born again to a living hope. Um, and that word beloved is just simply a, a reminder. I see like a, like a pastoral love and care from Peter here. It's just a simple reminder that, hey, you are loved. It's a, it's a really tender word in the Greek. You're loved, not only are you loved by me, but you're loved by Christ, your Savior. Yeah. And and I think I think Peter wrote in such a, 
a loving way, one, because he had a relationship with Jesus, but two, because he knew what was to come. Right. The persecution and the trials that were to come, um, he knew He knew it was on the horizon for them. So I just think he's showing compassion here. He's choosing a word that reminds them, like I said, that, that they're loved in, in a way that's different from what the world can offer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I really, really like that, how... Yeah, he's reminding them that one, yes, they're loved by Peter and like he is um, shepherding in them with in that um, with this passage, but also he's reminding them of their identity in Christ, that they are beloved. And, you know, when we are suffering, it's it's tempting to feel like God has forgotten about us. Yeah, it's tempting to feel like, oh, all of this is meaningless and, you know, God has left me and there's nothing there's no point to this at all. But he's saying, no, like you are beloved in this therefore you can rejoice like you have salvation he has loved you enough to send his son and now you can rejoice in the midst of these trials and i think that's just so powerful of a reminder for us walking through the the sufferings that we do yeah yeah and and, and then the other aspect of this i, I revisited after we kind of talked through all that and walked through that i revisited uh, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. It's almost like another aspect of this verse. It's, and, and simply like what, what Peter's saying is, is like through this process, through any type of reviling or, or persecution or whatever you deal with as a Christian for the name and sake of Christ, yeah. the world coming against you, God's going to prove his faithfulness. He will. He proves his faithfulness and he purifies and he refines and he sanctifies his children through these processes. So that's how this kind of applies to us here in America, right? We, we're not dealing with physical persecution, yep. but we are dealing with being reviled. In fact, that's evidence of your salvation according to Scripture um, and according to any Christian that I've ever met that's walked with Jesus for a while. Being reviled is just part of it. So I know, like, for me personally— being reviled by loved ones or friends and stuff like that when I first started following Christ, I didn't know why, right? Because I hadn't, I hadn't read the entire Bible, right? Um, and I, but as I peered into Scripture and, and opened and, and read God's Word, I saw that like God's purifying me through this. He's teaching me to be patient. Mm-hmm. He's teaching me to rejoice in reviling. He's teaching me more than anything, that he is first, right? right? The cost of discipleship is that my love for him would make my love for everything else look like hate. Yeah. According to Scripture, doesn't mean I hate everyone. It just means that my focus is on Christ, and, and I truly believe that God disciplines his children now and that he's cutting away the fat, mm-hmm. if you will, through, through, through trials and through refining and through purifying and, and sanctifying. That's good. Yeah, and yeah, I just think that this whole passage really echoes that that theme of sanctification and purification, and where where it's saying like, yeah, don't do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So I think like there's two results of suffering. It's like suffering is a result of the wickedness of the world, and you know we we read a few weeks back that you know. The world is surprised when we do not join them in the yeah. debauchery and wickedness that they have. And and so there's reviling and there's suffering as a result of that. But it's also a result of God kind of allowing that to test our faith. Um, I was I was reading through um, Exodus the, the past couple days and um, reading about Israel's journey in the wilderness. And like as soon as they, they cross uh, um, through the Red Sea and they come out the other side, 
like three days later, they're already in the wilderness and they come to a, um, a spring that has like bitter water and they can't, they have no water to drink. And he says like, he brought them there to test them. Yeah. And I don't think he's testing them. You know, he's, he was testing them to see if they were, they would trust him enough to call upon him. Instead, they just grumbled and complained against Moses, against God. And they just, and they started rebelling and wanting to go back to Egypt. And in, instead he showed them that he was worthy to be trusted by providing them water. And he did that over and over and over again. And I think here, when it's talking about suffering as a way to test us, it, it just goes back to, it's like, are you going to trust God? He's not testing us to see if we're, we're going to be obedient in every single thing. It's like that we're, we're sinful fleshly humans still, and we're not going to be able to be obedient, but we can trust his faithfulness. Like as he proves his faithfulness, that allows us to, for our faith to grow in him. It's good. Yeah. So let's just move down to, um, you said verse 14, like you, you said that was a really clear echo of the sermon on the Mount that, that Peter was given there. Why don't you go into to that about uh, a little bit about if you are insulted for the name of Christ? Yeah, if you're insulted, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's, it's so cool that you know Peter's writing from a perspective now of being filled with the Holy Spirit and being an apostle, giving the authority uh, to to execute his apostolic ministry in a right scripture. Yeah, just kind of lay that out there, uh, <laughs> but. Not only that, he walked with Jesus. Right. So he, he he lived with Jesus during his earthly ministry, and he walked with him. And Peter, what I love about Peter is uh, it's cl- it's clear that he had a short temper, and he just liked to get stuff done. I can relate well to that. Um, so for him to be writing about this, it's just the grace of God coming through the pages of the Bible right. that he could write about responding in the proper way. Um, due to him being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then he writes, he's just echoing Matthew 5, 11 through 12, that blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And Jesus just says the same thing, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Practically, it's just another echo of of his Savior, um, which is another reminder to the Christians Peter's writing to that, hey, I love you, but Jesus loves you more. And he knew this was going to happen. I walked with this man. Like, he's yeah. not just a man. He's fully God as well. Now he's ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he promised in his Sermon on the Mount that this would happen. Yep. And I'm just echoing it, reminding you that he's with us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. Um, but we can expect to be reviled. Yeah, I think we sometimes as Christians today like get the main point kind of confused, especially with this verse of where we think the main point of our faith is to be comforted by the Holy Spirit or um, or by God, and instead it's to it's to suffer and to live our life for Christ. Yeah. It's like if you suffer for Christ, the result is going to be like you're going to be comforted. But if you live for the comforting that that God brings then you're kind of shorthanding yourself on like enduring the suffering. And that's, that's when you start being surprised and um, start, you know, feeling down when things aren't going your way. And I think it can be a dangerous thing when like we, we place the comfort as the, as the pursuit rather than living for Christ. And if, if that means suffering, then we endure that. Yeah. Because moralistic therapeutic deism has permeated every area of the Christian life. We think that, that God serves us, not that we serve God. 
Um, we think that the Christian life is supposed to be relatively comfortable and easy and everything's good. However, that's not what we find in Scripture. So I think when we when we come to those moments where we're uh, pursuing the Holy Spirit's comfort, which is his role, uh, one of his roles in Scripture, when we're pursuing that as an end in itself, we're missing the biggest the biggest part of the Christian life, which is obedience. And if, like you said, if suffering comes as a result of that, well, then so be it. Um, We will be comforted in that moment. That's the promise that we have. Not that, you know, we'll live in this, um, this comfortable environment or always walk with this, this overwhelming peace and comfort. Um, And I think that even if somebody says that they do, that's a result of, of being spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-driven, um, in the Word, uh, in prayer. It's never a result of the circumstances in somebody's life. Right. Yeah, Yeah. and a little farther it says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Like, that is our purpose, to glorify God, even if it means glorifying Him in suffering, and especially in suffering. And I just, I just this is just a tidbit I was studying this morning, that that word Christian, if anyone suffers as a Christian, I think it only occurs like twice more in the book of Acts, right? And it's more of in a mocking tone from other people talking yeah. about people who were followers of Christ. And I think it's just um, just so interesting how Peter utilizes that here. It's like, yeah, people are going to call you that. And like, that is who you are. You are a follower of Christ. You are a Christian. If, if you suffer in that name, then glorify God in it. Yeah, I did want to jump down, and you you pointed out, and you were, you had a really good, helpful analysis of verses um, seventeen and eighteen because that can kind of be confusing um, when just jumping into it. But it it says, "For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will become of the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God?" And then you said eighteen kind of echoes that. So why don't you um, kind of clarify that for the listener again? Yeah. So the judgment beginning at the household of God. And now Peter's just reminding them here that, that, so this was true for them, which means it's true for us, right? It wasn't written about us, but it's profitable for us. Right. Uh, Second Timothy, all, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable. So, so it's important to, to peer into this and see what Peter's saying. It's, he's, he's really saying like God is cleansing his church and his people now, like actively working and sanctifying his people like making ready the bride of Christ for the return of Christ. Um, he's not condemning his children, though, right? So right. sometimes we as Christians, we get caught up in thinking we're being condemned, but we're really just being convicted. And I talked about how conviction is probably the sweetest gift. Uh, apart, you know, obviously the Son, God gave the Son for, for, the, for the forgiveness of sins, his sacrifice on the cross. Um, but conviction is such a sweet gift because without conviction, uh, we wouldn't be disciplined. Yeah. Right? Like that's how God disciplines us. The Holy Spirit comforts, as Marcus said, but the Holy Spirit reveals truth and convicts uh, the Christian. So he's not condemning his children, but, but what Peter's saying is that God is making ready the bride of Christ. And that's good news, mm-hmm. right? He didn't save us to leave us the same. He's continuously changing us. Day by day, and I echoed First Corinthians eleven thirty two. I said that word discipline. And Paul says that as well. He says, "But, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world." So Paul's just 
echoing it again. But yeah, you you asked about how 18 echoes 17, really that question, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then Peter writes in 18, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And I I really just kind of sat in that moment and was like, we're no longer sinners if we're in Christ. We do deal with sin. We struggle with sin. That's where I said, um, you know, cut me off in traffic, and you'll see how I struggle <laughs> with sin. Yeah, um, not happy about that, but but that's still something I deal with, um, and in, and God's working in me on that. But um, but Peter's really just saying here, hey, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint if you're in Christ. But for the sinner, what's going to happen? Right, and and it's simple. He's he's talking about how those who are in their sin and die in their sin will spend eternity separated from God in hell um, with no hope ever to be reconciled back to God if they pass away in that. And I read, I'm not going to read it, but I read Luke 16, 19 through 31 about Abraham mm-hmm. or about the guy, about the, the rich man and Lazarus and, and they both pass away and Lazarus goes to heaven and and the rich man's like Abraham, like I like let him dip his finger in some water and cool me off, and and he's begging and begging and begging, and yeah. and it just ends with the words of Jesus saying here, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead? Yeah, um, which is these types of passages passages of scripture are not talked about a lot, but they're very real. I think over seventy five times Jesus spoke on hell. Um, within the New Testament, mm-hmm. there's like 160 something passages on it. Yeah, not to scare anyone, but it's a real place. Mm-hmm. And if we deny its existence and and that it's real, we would be denying 17 and 18. We would have just stopped. Yeah, not talked about it anymore. But it's important. Yeah, when I was um, reading through this, like I kind of had an analogy with like we we use the analogy a lot of uh, being refined like silver or gold and um, that like that sanctification process it's re- it's removing impurities but then I was thinking it's like when it's talking about what will become of the ungodly in the center it's like well if they are put through the same fires that we are like you know they're not you know they're not believers they don't have the same substance that we do so like what is going to become of something that is not gold or not silver when it's going to be in the fire it's just going to get burned up and it's in the same way as like like and I was reading when it's talking about uh, if the righteous is scarcely saved, it's not necessarily talking about being barely saved and God, God's work is just barely enough. It's talking about in difficulty. Like if we are coming through the, the, the difficulties of life and that it, the suffering and the testing of our faith brings about our righteousness, that same, those same difficulties and trials and fires, like it's just going to leave the ungodly and, and the sinner burned up with, and they don't have the same hope that we do to, to turn to unless, you know, we share it with them and unless they repent and believe. But, um, that was just really echoing in my mind. It's like, you know, what is going to become of the sinner if they don't have this, if, if they don't have God, if they don't have the savior, if they don't have someone to turn to in the midst of, um, those trials that, that we have when we have those trials. Yeah. I think, um, too, you know, a lot of times those, those that are not in Christ, they may prosper in this world too. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and as Christians, we could be looking around being like, dang, why are they prospering? Like, they're evil. Yeah. Right? Like, we know that apart from Jesus, we're evil, but, like, we see their works and we see their, their hearts of 
affections on their sleeve, like how they live their life. Um, and if we're not careful, we'll begin judging them and think that we deserve that because we have right. Jesus, as Marcus said. But but we didn't we didn't we didn't get saved so that He would serve us. We were saved so that we would serve God. Yeah. Um, and the best way you just mentioned it to serve those people when we see that and we get irritated with sin, that's okay. Like there's a righteous anger that's okay, mm-hmm. but it's to beg and seek the self control of the Holy Spirit, which is the fruit of, fruit of the Spirit. Um, one of them, and to just go share the gospel with that person. Yep. Like in love, like when you get an opportunity, I'm kind of, uh, get an opportunity. What if they were to pass away tomorrow? Like just share the gospel with them. Yeah. Like, hey, man, or a girl, or whatever you are, um, <laughs> I love you, and 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 I want you to know that you're made in God's image and that through Christ, through his death and resurrection, there's, there's access to God for you. Yeah. I'd love to walk you through Scripture, what that means and what that looks like. Yeah, it always, for me, always, always goes back to the Great Commission. Like, we're called to go and share. And we cannot do that if we're focused on our trials. We can't do that if we're focused on ourselves. We can't do that if we have an unbiblical view of Christianity. That's the first question I asked um, at the top was, do you expect to be honored in the world where your Lord was crucified? If your answer is yes, then your view of Christianity is not biblical. Mm. Um, It's an old Spurgeon quote. So yeah, that's that's powerful. Yeah, so we're we're winding down here. Let's see, um, what like practical encouragements or um, exhortations would you have for the listener um, just regarding this passage, like going forward? If either if they're in the midst of suffering or if they're just if they think they're suffering, but maybe they're they're not facing the Christian suffering. Like what what um, practical applications would you have for them? Yeah, so we'll start with the, if it's. If they're suffering and it's not for the sake of Christ, that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. It's due to their choice or whatever they're doing. I would. It's simple, right? It's always repent and believe. It's always turn to Jesus. But but even deeper, I'm not taking that away. But even deeper than that, like examine yourself, right? Be honest with who you are. Be honest with who you are and who God calls you to be. And when you see that that none of us live up to to this standard that God's placed. Yeah. I believe it talks about in James, like peering into or looking into the law of liberty, like 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 gazing into the face of Christ. That's the number one part of discipleship. It starts there, and then self-awareness becomes a thing. Yeah. And then what you do with that, right? Because the mark of the Christian is obedience. So I would, I would just tell you, encourage you to just peer into that, peer into Scripture, peer into who Jesus is. If you know him as Lord and Savior, um, continuously remind yourself of what he's done, and I think what that will do is it will take your mind off, off of your, your situation. You'll turn from it and trust in him. Um, and then for I forgot the other question. Um, that was for the one living in sin or right. Or so exhortations sin. or encouragements. Yeah. So I would just encourage the Christian who is suffering, who is being reviled, continue continue to know that that you were instructed to count the cost. That you know, I'm not trying to be harsh, but like it's clear, Jesus talks about that. He said, "I came to turn you know household against household," and and that he doesn't. I don't know that he necessarily desires. I think it's more so he just knows that's going to happen, right? Because he's God, yeah, he's sovereign. He's above and outside all things. So in that trust that God can and will purify you, mm-hmm. 
and then he can and will make you effective for gospel testimony, right? He, he will um, because he's going to use he's going to use you to serve him because he's in the best loving way a selfish God, yeah, in the best way, not in a bad way. He's going to use you to love and serve him, and in doing that, what you'll do is share who he is, and you'll see people saved. Yeah. I believe that. I've seen it happen in my own life, but when I'm focused on myself, it's bad. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Marcus, any final encouragements? For the two audiences, what were they again? So those that are either in the midst of suffering or those that may think they're suffering but not necessarily in the Christian way. So in both cases, we're talking to Christians, right? Okay. Um, so for the, the Christian in the midst of suffering, I would reiterate what Chase said. But then I would also say, like, <clears throat> the the Christian life— according to scripture is difficult. Um, but praise God, he surrounds us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, we have access to his word. So we need to, well, and then we also have access to him through prayer. So those three things on top of what Chase said, I would just reiterate almost like I have every week, get into a faithful gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, local church, who's going to practice accountability, church discipline. And then open up in those spaces, and there's certainly wisdom, there's certainly people who you don't want to share everything with, but I would just say that in every local church, there are probably a handful of people that you can share everything with, and they can speak into it, calling you out where you need to be called out, lifting you up where you need to be lifted up, yeah. um, and walking with you alongside that. Now, that's not to say that you know there are only a handful of, of people, good good Christians in, in churches, but I'm just saying that, that not everybody needs to know your business all at the same time. But trust, uh, trust yourself to a few of your brothers and sisters in Christ at a faithful local church, um, who are going to hold you accountable, who are going to encourage you, lift you up, stay in the word, um, and stay in prayer. It, we can, we are so in, we are so self-centered inherently because of our sinfulness that if we take our eyes off of God, if we take our minds out of God's word, if we, if we stop praying, we lose sight. We're, we become short-sighted. And so our problems, whatever it may be, um, because they're so urgent, because they're so personal, because they're so in our face, um, I think that we'll easily start just looking over our noses rather than keeping our minds on the things above. So I would, in, I would encourage people, find a church, grab your Bible, um, and stay in prayer. And then for those who, Christians who are suffering, for sin is what you're saying? Not, not for sin, but they, they're they mistakenly thinking that they're in, like, Christian suffering, but, but they're just... A, yeah, a result of their sin. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if it's a result of their sin, I mean, it's repent. Yeah. Repent. Um, yeah. And, and continue entrusting yourself to God. I think, at least in my life, when I, when I suffer as a result of my sinfulness... It's because I, I have failed to trust God in whatever moment it is, right? Like, say I'm at, I'm at work, and 
you know, I can act and behave or talk a certain way and that'd be considered okay and acceptable in that workplace or, um, or wherever I am. That's not trusting God, mm-hmm. right? Just, just live the Christian life, right? right. We're not going to do it perfectly. Repent where you need to repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you where you need forgiveness. Um, but then just live how he calls you to live. Live how he could, like, that's it. It's that simple in my mind. Right. And don't be surprised when you suffer for that, but that's never an excuse to revert to our human wisdom um, that says, you know, we just need to make it through here scot-free. Or the more we look like them, the more they'll listen to us. Yeah. That's not the way it works. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, I guess the the final encouragement that I would say is just in verse 19. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Um, a couple of things there. First is they're entrusting their souls to a faithful creator. I think it's interesting that they use that, or Peter uses the word creator there. It's like the God who made everything and who is in control of everything, the omnipotent, omniscient God who created everything and who also created you is the one that you're supposed to entrust your soul to who loves you intimately and is in control of every detail of your life. And I think like that just shows right there that he is worthy to be entrusted with, with our soul, with our circumstances. And then the second thing is like while doing good, it's like you keep doing good in the midst of your suffering by entrusting your soul to God. And like, if you're doing good, like that's going to like, that's going to make sure that you're not suffering as a result of sin. So absolutely. All right. Well, listener, thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this conversation was a blessing to you. Um, If you need anything at all, uh, Marcus, where can they send their inquiries, questions, concerns? Josh, the river Richards at citychurchgainesville.com. I don't think that's the email, but it's close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The email is incoming, but in the meantime, it is Josh X Richards at gmail.com. Hey man. But uh, thank you again. Um, You can catch us at City Church on Sundays at 10 a.m. and then on Wednesdays starting at 6 p.m. with our meal and discipleship. But until next time.